I'm Christy, and this is a homebrew murder crew microbrew. Early in the afternoon on July 27, 1981, six-year-old Adam Walsh entered in through the north entrance of a Sears department store located inside of a mall in Hollywood, Florida with his mother, Reve. Reve was shopping for a lamp. She had something very specific in mind. She had shopped around prior to this day, but could not find the one that she liked within her budget. And finally, Sears had a sale on the very lamp that she had her eye on. Now, imagine a time when you were six years old and you had to go with your mom to a department store or a grocery store, probably the most boring thing imaginable, right? Well, Adam felt the same, but his eyes lit up when they entered the store and he saw the toy section with an Atari video game display set up and some other older kids were playing on it. Adam begged his mom to let him watch the older kids play while she shopped. Noticing that this setup was pretty close to the lamp department where she was heading to, she allowed him to stay and watch and told him that she would be back in about 10 minutes or so. However, when she returned, nobody was there. All the kids were gone, including her son, Adam. She searched the aisles nearby and asked an employee if she had seen him. When the employee informed Reve that she had not seen him, the employee called for Adam over the intercom, hoping that he had just wandered off a little bit too far and would come back to the toy department. A few minutes had passed and still no sign of Adam. Adam's grandmother just so happened to also be at Sears at the time, and upon hearing her grandson's name called over the intercom, she met up with Reve and the two of them began to scour the mall for any sign of Adam. At around 1.55 p.m., about two hours after Reve last saw Adam, she reports Adam missing to the police department, which, by the way, happened to be located directly across from the mall. After reporting to police, the family continued to search for young Adam, and around 3.30, Adam's dad, John, joined the search. They were able to find out some information from a security guard that was working in the Sears around the time Adam disappeared. The security guard, a 17-year-old girl, was called over to the toy department of Sears only moments after Reve left Adam there due to a scuffle between the older kids there. As one would expect, there was an argument that took place regarding whose turn it was next on the Atari and it was causing quite a disturbance for the other shoppers. So the 17-year-old security guard asked if their parents were around and the kids all said no, except for Adam who didn't say anything. You see, Adam was quite shy and probably felt insecure considering he was getting in trouble along with these older kids. So he quietly followed the other kids as they were escorted out of the mall through a separate entrance than where he had entered with his mom minutes earlier. As the older kids went on their way, Adam was likely left standing outside, afraid to go back in for fear of getting in trouble with a security guard again. 
The security guard was certain that Adam had been one of the boys who was forced to leave and that she had assumed that Adam had been with the other boys. What followed was a massive search that would turn into one of the largest in Florida history. Reve even left her car there as long as possible, leaving notes for Adam to stay put if he found his way back to the car so they could soon meet up with him there. The media took no time at all latching onto this story as this was unheard of in this area at the time. The story spread quickly and families were terrified to know that a child in their own community could go missing so quickly. The Walshes took advantage of the media and news coverage and used every opportunity for screen time to plead for Adam to come home and for the community to keep an eye out. The Walshes also used the media to their advantage at a time when cases of missing children did not typically make national headlines. They made numerous television appearances on both the local and national levels. In the meantime, they searched desperately for their son. The couple and their friends came up with a $100,000 reward for Adam's safe return. He was reported as last wearing a pair of green shorts, a short sleeve pullover with red and white stripes, sandals with yellow bottoms and blue straps, and a beige or cream-colored captain's hat with a blue rim. Quote, We are willing to negotiate ransom on any terms, strictly confidential. Quote, We are willing to negotiate ransom on any terms, strict confidentiality. End quote. This is what posters of the missing child read. Quote, Do not fear revenge. We will not prosecute. We only want our son. End quote. The police department was in way over their heads. They had never dealt with a missing children's case like this before, and although they did eventually get the FBI involved, they received a lot of flack for waiting too long to do so. Now, as is typical in missing children's cases, the police wanted to interview Adam's parents first. So, statistics show that 60% of child abductions are parental Statistics show that 60% of child abductions are parental abductions, so this was the obvious place to start. On August 7th, 1981, a little less than two weeks after Adam went missing, John Walsh was brought in for a polygraph. They questioned him about his entire life leading up to that point, and also about his memory of what, what he was doing on August 27th when Adam went missing. Ultimately, they found that there was no deception and he was essentially ruled out as a suspect. During the interview, police found out that there was a young man by the name of James Campbell that had been living with the family, but moved out a week prior to Adam's disappearance. Mm -hmm. James was a 25-year-old family friend. At some point, and for whatever reasons, everyone decided that the living arrangement was no longer working out, and it would be best for James to move out. James was brought in for questioning, and just as with John, no deception was shown. Reve also took a polygraph test, but not until almost two months after the disappearance. But again, no deception was found. On August 10th, two weeks after Adam's abduction, a heartbreaking discovery was made. A pair of fishermen found a severed head in a drainage canal along the Florida Turnpike near Vero Beach, more than 120 miles from Hollywood. 
They attempted to locate the rest of the remains. However, this area unfortunately had a large alligator population and ultimately the rest of the body was never found, not even any clothing. The next morning, as the Walshes were in New York City appearing on Good Morning America, a family friend identified the remains to be Adams, and they did this by being able to ultimately identify the gap between Adams' two front baby teeth. Dental records confirm the identification. Now, due to obvious reasons, I'm not going to get into the coroner's report, but as you can imagine from the examination, they were able to gather little snippets of information regarding what had happened to Adam, but without the rest of his body, they really couldn't know for sure what his cause of death was. Now, law enforcement believed that he was likely kidnapped outside the store after the other child children left. Adam's parents launched a massive hunt for their son, and however, on August 10th, 1981, as we know, it was his severed head that was discovered in the drainage canal in Vero Beach. In October 1983, career criminal Otis Elwood Toole, then an inmate at uh, Rayford, then an inmate at a Rayford, Florida prison confessed to Adam's abduction and murder and implicated serial killer Henry Lee Lucas in the crime. However, investigators soon discovered that Lucas couldn't have been involved because he was in jail in Virginia when Adam was kidnapped. Toole then admitted that he had carried out the crime on his own and police announced that they had found Adam's killer. However, investigators were unable to locate Adam's body where Toole claimed to have buried it and without any physical evidence, the Florida state attorney couldn't prosecute, couldn't prosecute the case. Now let's get into what police think happened to Adam. After some investigation, police eventually concluded that Adam was abducted by Otis Toole near the front exterior of Sears after being instructed to leave by a security guard. Toole said that he had lured Adam into his 1971 Cadillac, which had a damaged right bumper, with promises of toys and candy and proceeded to drive north on Interstate 95 toward his home in Jacksonville the Radaba Road overpass in northwest St. Lucie County. When Toole realized that Adam was still breathing, he strangled him to death with the seatbelt, dragged him out of the car, and decapitated him with a machete. Toole also claimed to have incinerated the body in an old refrigerator when he returned to Jacksonville. He claimed that he wanted to make Adam his adopted son, but that was not deemed feasible. There was blood found in Toole's car, but the source of the blood could not be identified. Toole, a confidant of convicted serial killer Henry Lee Lucas, repeatedly confessed and then retracted accounts of his involvement. Now, Toole was never charged in Adam's case, although he provided seemingly accurate descriptions as to how he committed the crime. There's a show on Netflix called Confession Tapes that shows footage of him apparently being fed information from interrogators and he later confessed to several cases he had no involvement in. Several witnesses also placed him in the Hollywood area in the days leading up to Adam's disappearance. In September 1996, he died in prison of cirrhosis of the liver and AIDS at the age of 49 while serving a life sentence for other crimes. 
Later, his niece told John Walsh that he made a deathbed confession to Adam's murder. His confession was viewed as unreliable as he and Lucas confessed to to, or implicated themselves in more than 200 homicides. Most of Lucas's confessions were later revealed to have been false, having been coerced by the Texas Rangers. In 1997, Hollywood Police Chief Rick Stone conducted an exhaustive review of Adam's case after the release of John's book. At the time, Stone was a 22-year veteran of the Dallas, Texas, and Wichita, Kansas Police Departments and had been appointed Hollywood's Chief of Police in the previous year. Although the crime happened 16 years before the time of his review, he provided an analysis of the evidence, including a review of taped interrogations of Tool by Hollywood detective Mark Smith. Stone says that this review found evidence, quote, beyond a reasonable doubt, end quote, that Tool murdered Adam. Stone noted that both Toole and Lucas were notorious for confessing to crimes they had committed and then recanting. Years later, serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, who was living in Florida at the time of Adam's abduction, was considered a possible suspect in the case. However, Dahmer had been interviewed about Adam's death in 1992 and reportedly denied any involvement, saying, quote, I've told you everything, how I killed them, how I cooked them, who I ate. Why wouldn't I tell you if I did it to someone else? End quote. Dahmer died in a Wisconsin prison in 1994. On December 16, 2008, the police department in Hollywood, Florida, announced that the case against Tool was strong enough to close the investigation into Adam's death. And John Walsh has said he believes Tool was his son's killer, and several witnesses did place him in the Hollywood area that day. Now, there was some frustration with regards to the way that the police had handled this case, um, including the fact that they ultimately lost the bloodstained carpet from the car and the machete that was said to have been used to decapitate Adam, and eventually they lost the car itself. Not sure how you do that, but I mean, can't say I blame the family for being a little bit uh, upset about that. Adam's father, John, channeled his grief into advocacy work for crime victims, and we see this all the time. Now, John was a founder in 1984 of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The NCMEC has circulated billions of photos of missing children, assisted law enforcement in the recovery of more than 348,000 missing children, and facilitated training for more than 379,000 law enforcement, criminal, juvenile justices, and healthcare professionals. And in 1988, John became host of America's Most Wanted, a show that has since helped law enforcement officials track down hundreds of fugitives. On July 27, 2006, 25 years after Adam went missing, then-President George W. Bush signed the Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act into law, which created a national database of convicted child sex offenders, strengthened federal penalties for crimes against children, and provided funding and training for law enforcement to fight crimes involving the sexual exploitation of children via the internet. John and Revae Walsh went on to have three more children, Megan, Callahan, and Hayden Walsh. Callahan Walsh, 36 years old, works as a child advocate at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Prior to that, he worked as a supervising producer on America's Most Wanted, the crime-fighting television series for which John Walsh is best known. 
The original show, which launched in 1988 and ran for 25 seasons, helped police capture more than 1,200 fugitives, including 17 from the FBI's 10 most wanted list. John Walsh now hosts In Pursuit with John Walsh on Investigation Discovery. Callahan Walsh co-hosts the show and the television network announced in February that the younger Walsh would host an offshoot of the show called In Pursuit, The Missing. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on our social media. We are on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. We are on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. You can email us at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com.